one podcast ain't played nobody it's a uh new year new us because we remembered that we teased something in the previous episode that we're actually going to follow through on but, that is a that's a minor miracle but we also said we were recording on wednesday and recording on thursday so we do still have a level of, of comfortable mm. unreliability going on there you go you know same incompetency new calendar year we teased the show uh, when we jumped off after our post sort of holiday funk. Um, but yes, we are you're going to attempt to record and go up on Thursdays throughout the off season. Uh, the other stupid waste of your time, college football podcast. That's basically just four idiots yelping at each other. Uh, that's on Tuesdays now. So that's our off season schedule at SB Nation. <laughs> and I'm sure we will maintain this schedule with religiosity. Well, we'll be more organized in th- that circle of morons. Um, LSU. Yeah. Was this the most interesting? So we had a gap, right? We came in, we kind of cleaned up the previous bowls and talked about how terrible the semis were. Um, and then we had this smattering of bowls before we get into the national championship game next week. Um, I was very curious about LSU. You were very curious about mm-hmm. LSU. Um, probably the most interesting game. Obviously, we we quickly dubbed it at at sbnations.com the um the narrative game. Yeah, it definitely. It, I think it lived up to that. However, Texas and Georgia just like I tripled down on on various narratives. Um, but I thought between those three major games, and a smattering of the other stuff like Kentucky and Penn State and Iowa upsetting Mississippi State, I thought it was a way more interesting New Year's Day than it was a a whatever that I don't know what you call it playoff Saturday. Right. Yeah, it's funny. So since we recorded last, we've had, what, three, six, nine, I think 11 games. So Monday and Tuesday. Um, Nine of them were decided by one possession. And like two were truly interesting. (laughs) Like every single game on New Year's Day, except Mississippi State, Iowa, which had its own issues, was Team A jumps to an enormous lead. Team B chips away makes it interesting for three minutes in the fourth quarter and then fails, basically. Uh, That was Texas, Georgia. That was Ohio State, Washington. That was uh, Kentucky, Penn State. uh, And it was basically LSU, UCF. LSU, because of the narratives, because of, um, well, I mean, just UCF's little charges at the beginning of the game, the end of the second quarter, like they kept keeping it closer than it felt like it should be, which was, I mean, good for them for that. Um, that was probably technically the most interesting game, but man, they were all just frustrating. Like they, it, it really, the football stunk for about three and a half of the four quarters in each game. And it was only more, like interesting at the end, which I mean, if you're going to be interesting, have it be interesting at the end. It was, but we just, we didn't get any payoff either. Chase McSorley didn't, didn't lead the comeback at the end. And, um, Washington couldn't make up the, the hilarious disadvantage they almost made up. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a letdown to me, but it was definitely interesting on Saturday. So LSU has an offense, uh, against UCF. <laughs> I mean, they had 11 yes. people in the field. Yes. Um, there were so many moments in that game where they could have throttled. They, they could have made the big statement that so many people want them to. Right. Right. And they just dicked around. Yeah, I will say, like, looking at the numbers, the stat profiles, I got them updated this morning. Um, Three straight games to finish the year where they were at, like, the 80th percentile or higher on offense. So, um, and they don't get that against A&M just because they scored 72 points with seven extra possessions. Um, 
but just generally speaking, like the, the success rates and whatnot for that game were good. Uh, so that's maybe something. They, they finished the year 49th in offensive S&P Plus, which was way higher than they were about midseason. Um, they, their, their efficiency numbers for the full season were still horrible. Um, 82nd in marginal efficiency, but it definitely got better at the end. And, and against UCF, I hope they took the lesson that basically, you know, it's not the end of the world if we go vertical sometimes, um, because most of their receiving core comes back next year. Burrow comes back next year. Uh, it could be a really, really fun offense if they start stretching the field a little bit more than they did this year. The uh, the segment I'm thinking the most of, I guess, was the fourth down deep in uh, UCF territory where there's an, uh, a false start that then backs them up into a field goal. Yeah. And then I believe UCF goes down. No, UC, that's what it was. UCF comes out. They force they force them to punt. They muff the punt. This sets UCF up. And then that basically puts in motion the, I don't know, comeback attempt. Right. It's really the difference between, especially in a couple of weeks from now, when people glance at that box score, the difference between perceiving that game as SEC dominant over, you know, uh, G5 program that thinks too much of itself, uh, or, hey, it was a really close game and UCF is on equal footing. This is why narrative is so deceptive. <laughs> yeah. No, um, first, second, and fourth quarters, their success rates, their efficiency levels were almost identical. <clears throat> UCF kind of had an explosion there at the beginning of the game and then trailed off pretty significantly. Uh, third quarter, however, uh, success rate for the third quarter, LSU 56%, UCF 8 I believe they had one successful play in the third quarter, and that's obviously where LSU really seemed to establish, seemed to take the hope out of the game to a certain degree until late when UCF got rolling, got going a little bit again. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It is a new year, but it's still the same shaky podcast because I forgot to do the show intro. That's the robot Bill Connolly. Uh, you can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C on the Twitters. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the uh, writerer and author of uh, multiple books about college football and college football-related stuff, materials, and uh, and take. You got some takes in those books, some takes in there. Um, sure. You can find them both on the Amazons.coms. Are you still doing the signed copy stuff? Or are we done? Yes. No, I, I mean, I'll DM me and we'll get it out. It might not be quite as timely. It won't be every day like it was during the Christmas rush. But, yeah, we'll get it out to you. My $16, name is Steven, DM me. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. And, oh, my God, I hate your team so much. <sighs> so much. I hate it so much. And really am here to execute a conspiracy against your team. You. You're listening right now. Your team. Although not your team, Bill, because I did uh, send you a message over Twitter, and I think maybe in our work Slack, um, of all the things that we could talk about next, Missouri had really nice helmets. Hell yeah, they did. And and once again, it was reinforced to me that I'm the only Missouri person a lot of my followers know because I got at least 30 compliments for my team's helmets, as if I had even the slightest thing to do with it. But it's generally, hey, you guys look great. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I dream of a day in which my favorite sports team, the, the terrible NFL team that's in uh, in the state of Georgia, goes to a solid black scheme. Most schools get fired up for all black, right? Of course, we all remember the incident at the University of Georgia where they went all black in 2008 against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Didn't work out so well. But a lot of schools, schools without a predominantly black color scheme, get fired up about all black. Oklahoma State, there's one. Texas Tech. Well, Texas Tech has black in their color scheme, but I'm just randomly thinking of schools that go with that all black look, and you're like, wait, that's not that's not a thing. I think Mississippi State's done it before. Um, all white, 
is really cool if you don't do it a lot or that yeah. like predominantly white it looks cool yeah i mean it, yeah i mean it can go sideways pretty fast but uh missouri's done you, a good job with kind of the stormtrooper look a little bit a couple times do you know what i'm doing here i'm just trying to make you feel better about uh about that uh, that their liberty bowl it I was would, the I, game i watched the least of just really? purely like, only because here's why um our next segment that we'll get into was that I was I was finishing up breaking the Houston news. Okay, um, I'm, I was just thinking you didn't like actual fun football, but okay. No, that's so. Here's the thing: I have been ninety percent off of work in this post Christmas pre New Year's stretch, except, um, and we'll get into this in the next segment, like when and how and all that jazz started with the Houston West Virginia Dana Holgerson debacle. Um, in that time. I told my wife, we, uh, you know, hey, you know, you're always at the mercy of my work schedule. We'll do whatever you want. And so there was like this neighborhood thing where I didn't know about this. And I guess I should because I've been a parent for four and a half years where a lot of parents with kids the same age will get the kids together from like four to six, five to seven, somewhere in that range, right? The parents will eat and drink a lot. Drink drink as much as you can reasonably within those two hours because you're in your own neighborhood or they're pretty right. close. And then you do a fake countdown for the kids. Have you? I, I had no idea about this. And this is not a cultural really? thing or a Nashville thing, Bill, because here's why. There exists, and you can check this out right now if you doubt me. Pull up your Netflix account. There are fake or, or on-demand, I guess not fake, but on demand, New Year's countdowns. Oh yeah, I saw something like that when she was fiddling around yesterday. Yeah, featuring all of the like cartoon kids IP that Netflix owns, which is mainly they license out all the DreamWorks stuff, and which I won't get into. But I think it's like Minions. And anyways, we all thought it was funny because we're at this neighborhood thing. I'm I'm ducking out every five minutes to make a phone call to wrap up a story that we're breaking. However, every time I walk back in from the from the porch of this our friend's house. There's a new countdown, and it's like minions, or then it's like I don't know some girl stuff. I don't because I don't have girls, but like, uh, and the kids explode every time. You just <laughs> and they don't even really understand news. You just get kids to count down from ten to zero. Man, they will go buck at the end of it. It's awesome. It's probably why a student section works so well in college sports. The youth are easily trained. So uh, we did that. Missouri Oklahoma State is going on at the same time. So I, I turned. I would turn around periodically and see the scoring and what such, but I had no flow for the narrative or the structure of the game. So please feel free to inform me as such. <laughs> um, Missouri was very superior early in the game, but they blew a scoring chance, or they had you know settled for field goals. OSU scored an early touchdown. Um, kind of let OSU hang around. OSU explodes in the third quarter to jump out ahead. Missouri reels them back in, doesn't. They get stuffed on a third and one, decide to go for a field goal and get, get it blocked. Then the next time on fourth and one, they didn't want to get stuffed, so they had Locke do kind of a bootleg or read option, whichever one it was, and he gets stopped. And so basically defense won the game. Oh, uh, they combined for 1,100 yards and two defensive stops by OSU late won the game. By the way, Mm-hmm. Cruddy year, for, a cruddy bowl season for senior quarterbacks. Um, yeah, Trace pretty Mc, bad. Trace McSorley, uh, Drew Locke goes out. I mean, Drew Locke played incredibly well. It wasn't like he had a terrible game, but he still got tackled on fourth and one to end the game. Um, there was another one that I'm blanking on all of a sudden, but yeah, not, not, not mean, an look, amazing year for going out on top. <clears throat> Trace McSorley is like, you put three more minutes on the clock, I think it happens. Right. And meanwhile, meanwhile, good old. Uh, Grayson Mulestein at TCU goes out on top, goes out with a win, despite having maybe the worst full game 
of quarterbacking, not quite full, but close to full game of quarterbacking that you're ever going to see. <clears throat> um, on passing downs against California, TCU, uh, Grayson Mulestein was one for 11 mm-hmm. with four picks. On, on standard downs, when you can run or pass, theoretically, he was six for nine for 12 yards <laughs> and a sack for 12 yards, and therefore 10 passes gained zero yards. Um, I've never seen – well, I mean, you'll occasionally see like an FCS a, a team that's a completely overwhelmed. You'll occasionally see a passing line like that. You will not see a passing line like that for a bowl team in a win. So congratulations for breaking football to uh, cheese a bowl. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Is – and you just keep your Michigan State in a bottle because we don't oh. want to get that at because it's hard to clean up once it gets yeah. out. Oh, okay. God. All right, we played the faux game last week of like, was this a bowl thing or is this something you should be worried about? Right. Since we recorded the show, we we were pontificating about Miami's hire. They went back and did the the Manny Diaz thing, which we talked about as a likelihood. Um, Manny Diaz, of course. Our, uh, our last PAPN was outdated about 30 minutes after it went up. So I mean, dude, yeah, record. December, early January, that's going to happen. And I, I remember thinking as I was, I almost, I almost sent you a message as we were recording. This is just pointless, but whatever. People liked it. Um. Manny Diaz makes Temple $4 million, basically, uh, yeah. because he immediately turns around. He did he signed his papers, apparently, um, and he turns right back around and goes to Miami. Uh, Miami makes, I think, $6.5 million. In, or, I'm sorry, Temple made $6.5 million, I think, in buyouts. Yep. Off of in, losing coaches this year. In yeah. two weeks. Uh, so, good on them. Uh, we'll talk about the Temple job in a minute if, if we want to. Um, so, Manny Diaz goes to Miami. Mm-hmm. Mario Cristobal staying at Oregon. Okay. Mario Cristobal apparently calls a team meeting right all, pretty much right around the time we were doing our last podcast and says, you're going to hear about this. It's not happening. I'm sticking with you guys. Because a lot of those guys, some of this is like, a lot of that's pablum and a lot of that's just stick and performative media crap in college football. In that case, that's a pretty shell-shocked roster. Because right. you've got guys on that roster who have done Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart, Helfrich, maybe some no, no, no chip. But they've they've been through a lot, a lot of a lot of changes. Okay. So a lot of guys are legitimately legitimately worried. I think he did it because one, um, his buyout's massive, and I don't think yeah. Miami was in a place to do that. Right. Um, my theory, my theory, we need a sound effect or some sort of bumper music <laughs> for this. This is my theory. I'm not reporting the following. My theory is this. Yes, Mario Cristobal, he played in Miami, he loves Miami, his home is in Miami, his family's in Miami. I do think he's interested in the Miami job. I just think he knows, and he's smart, and he's been trained, he's gone through the Saban uh, uh, refining school, and he knows he can get the Miami job in two and a half more years after he maybe wins the Pac-12. So, I think that's part of it. I think the fact that he had a $10 million ooh, ooh, buyout. Is... Ringing. Here, answer it. Pretend like you're muted and then just say words like, oh, I, No, coach is calling me and I'm not making that mistake again. No, say, this is right. Oh, oh, the Patriots, really? Or something I like really that. I really actually have to take this call. So how do I mute everything? Um, How about, uh, I'm not completely sure. Actually, you know what? I'm not, I'm just going to text this guy as we're talking. Okay. I'm not okay. making, I know all of y'all thought that was really funny and the Reddit really enjoyed it, but I can't do that again because there's other stuff going on right now. Yeah. And Zoom um, just changed its interface so I can't find where to mute you. So yeah, well then I'm just going to, I'm going to DM this guy. Um, I think Mario Cristobal did that because he was trying to 
send a message to the quarterback who just said he was coming back. This is what I'm trying to get at. Terrible bowl game. Crappy bowl game, okay? (laughs) Should we be worried? Like, this is... I was talking after our last show, and we were writing about what was going to happen in Miami. Like, you know, Mario Cristobal is probably sitting on, like, a top 10, top 15, most likely, Oregon team next year in a volatile and not necessarily quality conference that's in the power five you could do things there over the next two or three years worry about miami later also you won't have a 10 million dollar buyout um then i watched them but then i watched them in in that bowl and they they look as shitty as they did when he took over his interim and they were still shaking off some of the helfrich problems like you know taggart was very vocal about the fact that they had really just gotten the thing clicking and the defense was still so far behind and i'm just curious like we're talking about Oregon in one way, and so he's not going to Miami. He's going to stay. He's recruited really well. But then, like, we're seeing Oregon in these moments, and, like, it's just – it's not adding up. Well, it's funny. Just in general, um, you know, I always had a joke, like, every time Gary Pinkle, uh, they announced a contract extension, Missouri laid an egg the next week. Um, Oregon kind of – well, their defense was great. Like, we have to acknowledge that. Their defense played very well against, uh, against admittedly, a horrible and increasingly horrible Michigan State offense. Um, but they still did their job, but it really, it is funny. I mean, you look at some of the, the coaches that kept their jobs, like they were rumored for this job or that job would be it. Uh, I don't know. Nor- well, North Texas laid a giant egg, uh, for Seth Luttrell back at the beginning of bowl season, Memphis lost, uh, although they did it in a very Memphis way. So they, they were in character, uh, Paul Johnson. Uh, well, that's a completely different story. Also, I'll skip that one. But uh, just in general, it does seem like sometimes when you when you, when you have that drama of oh God, is he he's not leaving? Is he okay? Good. Whew. And then you you have a letdown very soon afterwards uh, when something good happens. So there might have been something to that. Uh, that was definitely. I mean, Michigan State's defense is still solid, so it's not like they were playing against air or anything. But Herbert, yeah, was was uh, quite bad. Uh, what was his final line? Yeah, 19 for, for 33, but for 166 yards. Uh, the run game went nowhere. So they, they really were um, – it's not really the best way to send her. But, hey, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe this is a good thing because now maybe they won't be top 10 next year because um, we know we know how bowl momentum tends to work with the bowl bumps and whatnot when, when people start making those preseason polls. Um, preseason national champion Texas. Exactly. Pre- preseason top five Texas Longhorns, despite the fact that they're losing – almost their entire defense. Um, so maybe maybe that's good. They won, which is good, and they didn't go out and score 59 points on Michigan State and get themselves like the preseason number seven ranking or something, so that's also good. Uh, the one thing I can tell you about the Temple search is that all of their finalists were defensive coordinators, and I think they'll go find another defensive yeah. coordinator because they really like defensive they coordinators. Seem to, they seem to know what butters their bread, yeah. I guess Rule wasn't a, a defensive coordinator, but he, he kind of – he was a def- defense-friendly coach, at least. Matt Rule was a spiritual defensive coordinator. Let's say that. <laughs> All right. Um, well, wait. Go back further than that. We had oh so Purdue. Colin... Purdue's another one that. Uh, hey, good. We got our coach back. That was a weird game. That we talked about. That's just talent on talent. Yeah, yeah, but Purdue beat Ohio State by twenty-nine points. It's not like they don't, I don't have because. That's because Ohio State's not good. Hey, speaking sure. of the Rose Bowl, sure, speaking talent, of the Rose Bowl. Talent, 49 points. Come on. Um, speaking of the Rose Bowl, what did you make of it? Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to think of it. I thought for sure Washington would play better defense up front early, and they kind of did. 
Um, they were yeah. really effective in particular moments because they do that zone stuff. It's pretty cool to watch. Confused that confused Haskins in chunks, but then also they were just like, "Oh, we're Ohio State. Damn, we're talented." Um, I uh, I kind of zoned out on that one just because oh, I thought yeah, it was yeah. gonna be a route. And then I, f- I felt bad and went back and rewatched it. Um, Washington right now perfectly encapsulates the, bi- the the Pac-12. It's exactly what the Pac-12 is at this moment. I'm trying as hard as I can to bite my tongue and not go off on Pac-12 fa- hired consultants who said, like, to be a, a better conference, hire a comedian. Um, uh, we'll save it because we were on other topics. But Also, um, here's what I'm pissed off about. So John Canzano uh, is a syndicated writer over in the, on the West Coast. Writes a lot of great stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm mixing them up with John Wilner. Um, John Wilner is a syndicated writer who does a lot of investigative work in the Pac-12. Yeah. John Canzano is a writer and a radio host in Oregon. Sorry, guys. Um, love you both. Legit. Um, so Canzano had a piece and – What's making the rounds, because this is the internet in 2019, is just the screenshot of what Canzano grabbed from the documentation of the, what do we call them, a strategies firm now? PR? It's a PR firm. Whatever. Uh, Apparently, it's also crisis management, which I I thought was a little ridiculous, considering some of the things that actually go on in college sports. Like, y'all sucking for a bit. I wouldn't really equate. Hire better coaches. Field better teams. Problem solved. Yikes. Um, I wouldn't really equate, like, a crisis, you know, or, or like some bad football and some bad basketball with like, you know, Baylor or actual crises. Yes. What happened to Ohio state this year? Um, so the thing I'm pissed off about, and I can't find the little thing right now, but why? Like it said, identify neutral influencers, like in, <laughs> ah! which specifically means internet personalities uh. and then like kiss their ass to tell your story. I'm right here. What, like, what? Why have y'all not kissed my ass yet? Jason dropped those that into slack. I'm wearing a Mountain West. I don't even know what you call this thing. Shack it? It's nice, though. I, Mountain West, America's greatest group of five conference. Jason drops in those lines uh, just in our slack room about, you know, yeah. neutral in, neutral to positive voices, blah, 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 influencers, dirt, 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 players, tribune. I thought he made it up. I was about to compliment him. Oh, you like, thought it was a uh, everyday I was like, Saturday damn. post? <laughs> I was like, man, that's that's some good par- uh, good some nice irony right there. Some good, uh, nice parody work on your part. And then it was true. So, again, it, we, not to make the bad habit of assuming y'all know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So this firm gives recommendations and, and multiple recommendations. One was, like, find a comedian, create a video uh, explaining the volatility of the scheduling and the start times and stuff like yeah, that. And that's one of comedy's awful. great, quote-unquote, coaches or, quote-unquote, fans to so star terrible. in a digital series that addresses the challenges of last-minute schedule and late games in a way that honors the true commitment of the Pac-12 fan. What the hell? Does that even mean other yeah, than that's a shit idea? Oh my god, it's a terrible idea. It, it, uh, so expand, expand upon your media partnerships with the Players Tribune and the LA Times to ident- and identify new national partners to increase national and re- regional coverage. Uh, that's play, what I want to know. So that's what I'm stuck on. Play what more important do- games and win them. What have I done wrong? <laughs> why why am I not being like why am I not being bribed by the Pac-12? Like why am yeah, I not being flown to the there. West Coast? Yeah, I've, I've, I have gone out in. I have to be very careful when I get Mimi and jokey and then do the journalism thing. But like I wrote a story about the, the PAC 12 centralized replay center, um, a two, three years ago. I don't know. I've gone out and done 
a couple Pac-12 stories. But what kills me is, and I'll say this because there's a couple people in the office I really like there. They're very nice people and they get it because they're all from different other parts of the country. Um, screw it. Let's just talk about this. <laughs> we, we've we at SB Nation had this theory, working theory. Don't steal this, athletic. Um, there's two kinds of Pac-12 or Pac-10 even when you go further back. There's two kinds. If you go to Pullman, Washington – or Tempe, Arizona even, I think you're going to see an experience that is similar to your experience at Auburn or Ohio State or Purdue or Clemson, whatever, right? College football, okay? Um, They're rural areas. Tempe's a big city, but I mean, you know, so is Columbus, Ohio. Um, Pullman, Washington is as much... I mean, it's a kiss and cousin to Fayetteville or Auburn or a place like that, right? Like it's it's rural as hell. It's one of the hardest places to get to in America. Ask ESPN. So that's very much in line with the culture that we talk about, the greater culture of college football. The I think the problem is that you have the other very, very, very different culture that's in its own that's in the, the orbit of power right now, which is um, not the school specifically, Bill, but the the LA and Silicon Valley mindset. In fact, I I would challenge that. I think if the PAC 12 had more of an LA mindset than a Silicon Valley mindset, they would be in a much better place right now. I think that that's fair to say. Sure. Because LA, the LA mindset of over market and overproduce, I think would have maybe not changed the quality of football, but it would have changed our exposure to it. And I think an LA mindset and I think a mass distribution focus and not an obtuse, sort of gamble on a theory, which is what they did by owning so much of that, so much of that, what everybody calls IP, but really what we're just saying is the fact that they're hanging on to all their third party rights and putting it on this network nobody can get. I think if you would have gone with a more television friendly focus, which there's, you know, thousands and thousands of people who do that professionally for a living, it's just they do national and international distribution in Los Angeles. Had you based the conference there, had you gone with that more like that mentality of, of thinking television first, I think they'd be in a much better place right now. So I don't like it. I very much don't like it when people write the Pac-12 off as, well, no one gives a shit. No, they give a big shit. Absolutely they do. Like, there are fans at all of those schools just like there are fans at your school in other time zones. I promise y'all. I do. Like, it's just not fair. I think it's, it's just a, a crappy slight. To me, the greatest sin in talking about sports fandom is sorry to blow a candle out on my desk. Um, the is the the greatest sin in sports fandom is it, I, when someone negates the purpose of your fandom. Like, why are you even a fan of them? You know, I got that a lot growing up as an Atlanta Falcons fan because I was living in NFC East country. Like, oh my God, who's an Atlanta Falcons fan? You get this all the time. Like, why would you cheer for the Milwaukee Bucks? Who cares about the Angels? Right. Or who cares about the Phoenix Coyotes? Well, maybe somebody does. Somebody gives a shit. Right. We celebrate that on this program. Right. I mean, if if you live and die with Utah State, we are here for you. <laughs> you know, if if the greatest moment in your life was a win for Central Michigan, we get that. I understand that. I grew up that way because um, my parents went to a really small school that didn't have college football when they were there. So they, they did become hardcore Southern NFL fans, which was weird for a minute. And then when there's they got a football team. It was FCS, and that's a pocket existence. So 
it's okay to talk about the Pac-12 having major problems right now. It is not okay, Bill, to say that they don't have fans. I think that's total horseshit. Well, and we, we we feed into that a little bit. We've said on this program how, you know, if we if we write a Stanford football piece, it you know, it gets three clicks. Well, you know um, what? If I if I write a Vanderbilt piece, it gets three clicks. And Northwestern don't exactly carry weight outside of a bunch of journals and people. Oh, they, they carry weight farts. with me because because um, they hate me at the moment. But that's a different story. <laughs> I mean, that's the, part of that is the school and who and and what the school produces. You have massive brands with sidewalk fans that that dwarf and will forever dwarf the actual alumni of a university, Alabama, right. Ohio State, et cetera. Then you have kind of more normal process of like the two places we went to college at. Like, you know, they have fan bases. They're they're in the power five. They're going to produce a certain level of sidewalk fan, but it's not going to be that instant branding, right? And then you have schools where I, for some reason people think they just, no, no one gives a shit. No one gives a shit. Like, Dude, Oregon was in the national title four years ago, right? Five years four, ago now? Four years ago and four years before that. Right. Washington was in the playoff. I promise you, by the way, I think I've said this on the show before, if you go to a Washington-Oregon game, it's going to feel a hell of a lot more like Huntsville, Alabama, than it is you know, the East Bay of Oakland or you know, <laughs> the hate in San Francisco. Like, It's just ridiculous that this, this perpetuates. All this to be said, the Pac-12 is not in a good place right now. They've made some serious errors. That lease that runs through that giant office in San Francisco ain't going away anytime soon. They've signed themselves up for a world of hurt relative to the rest of college sports. They're probably going to run Larry Scott off. I don't know when. And it's going to take a lot to unseat him, too. It's a mess, man. However, they can still be good in sports. They can still right. be good in football. Right. There always, know that- there's, there's always going to be a PR aspect of it. So I, I sort of understand what they were going for with the consulting, even though it touched every single raw ner- NBA school. Nerd. Dude, we got to get those jobs. Not the influencer thing where they buy us off. I'm saying we got to be the people that, that you pay all that money to yeah. to come in and say completely yeah. banal stuff. Like, yeah. where, what have I done wrong to not yeah, have no, that we gotten We would have made uh, much better recommendations for probably a tenth of the price. Well, I mean, off. they're sending them a bill for thousands of dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For for an, for for something I could have told somebody on a bus in two minutes. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, I understand that just because of geography, just because of time zones, they're always going to be working at a little bit of a disadvantage. They, I mean, they are. Like, it's they're further from recruits, a lot of them. Obviously, USC isn't, UCLA isn't, but a lot of them are. Uh, they're further from, like, their main recruiting base, and that's something you can't overcome. And, like we've said a million times on this program, their expansion options are basically – keep throwing Hail Marys at Texas. And otherwise it doesn't really matter if you expand or not. Um, so just pull so, the trigger and add Houston. Sure. Pull the trigger and add Houston and another yeah, central time zone team. They're paying $5 million just, a year for their head coach at the moment. So sure, why not? I mean, just um, do the damn thing. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'd am I'm. be okay with that. Um, uh, but last yeah, Pac-12, like, one Pac-12 thing I want to add, because this is somehow going to come and reflect negatively on the Pac-12 again. Um, there's a really dumb series of stories out right now. That I didn't talk to you about before we went on the air, but I, I bet you know where I'm going. The national championship is going to be played at Levi <laughs> Stadium. There's a bunch of stories going around right now in national media by some people that I respect about how this is a reflection of apathy in the sport because right. the ticket prices have cratered. It's like almost I think it's below face value on most tickets on the on the third party in the third party market, the secondary market, whatever it's called. StubHub and SeatGeek and all those things, okay? That's because Alabama and Clemson (laughs) are playing for a fourth time, the fourth time in the playoffs. Sure. In a row. 
And also, real quick, watch me do math. Watch me be the stat guy. Alabama and Clemson are in the southeastern United States. Santa Clara, California is in the valley, way in the Silicon Valley in Northern California. Okay? No, they're not close. It's very, 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 very damn expensive to go there. Also, if you've never been, let me tell you something. It sucks so hard. It is one of the worst-placed stadiums I've ever seen, which was the big knock against Candlestick being in South San Francisco was that it was a pain in the ass. This is an infinitely larger pain in a much bigger ass. It literally smells like ass. It smells like a paper mill in this town. If you don't, I, I promise, someone from, from Northern California can back me up. There's some sort of weird smell in that town. I've been there. I've covered a game there. It's a strange sort of obtuse design of a stadium. It's the longest I've ever it's the longest I've ever taken outside of a Super Bowl where they have like marshals and ATF agents and stuff running security to get you in and out. Other than the Super Bowl, it's the longest it's taken me to get inside of a stadium. It sucks. This has nothing bill to do with college football. <laughs> It doesn't even really have anything to do with the fact that Bama and Clemson are playing again. Because if this game was in the Superdome, or right. if this game was in Mercedes, where it was in Atlanta last year, where tickets were how much? Not $150. And I know that Georgia played Alabama in the championship, and then Alabama Alabama played Clemson in a... Where was the semi last year? Uh, we just blanked bad, didn't we? Hold on, hold on. I'll have the answer in five seconds. The point uh, is... Oh, Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl. Okay. Cool. So it was in New Orleans. Do you think that, like, it would still be thousands of dollars to get a ticket to see Alabama and Clemson play each other in a national championship if it was even – I mean, hell, let's let's push it even further, Bill. Indianapolis, it would it would be more if it was at the Fieldhouse because I think they do have a national championship coming up. If you played it outdoors, God forbid, in Nashville, Tennessee at the Titan <laughs> Stadium, it is a pretty crappy outside today. But even if they did, thousands of dollars. This is because a really dumb facility in a really strange place bid on an event that fans... Look, man, the Pac-12 fans, everyone makes fun of them. They're smart. They understand that this location sucks, too. I'm burying the lead because you guys are listening to this, and if you've never been, please don't think of San Francisco or Oakland, okay? Create a U-shape with your thumb <laughs> and your and your index finger. There's a U, Okay. The webbing, below the webbing between your thumb and forefinger, your index finger, that's where this stadium is. The top of your thumb is San Francisco, and close to the top of your th- your finger is uh, Oakland and Berkeley. They're not close. It's the middle of freaking nowhere. It's across the street from like a crappy theme park. This is a bad time. It's not good. 92,844 um, people attended the Rose Bowl uh, between Georgia and Oklahoma last year. Um, they will go there. They will. They would go to Vegas. Um, they would go to the L.A. Coliseum. It would still be more expensive. I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, if we were taking bets, we should only have national title games close to the southeast. Uh, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to exclude people. So move it around. That's fine. But if you're going to go west, I don't think there's any excuse to ever go anywhere besides the Rose Bowl or the L.A. Coliseum. The Coliseum this, would be fun as hell. Bill, um, if this game was at Soldier Field – it would cut like like ticket demand would go up. Soldier Field, January sixth, it, it January seventh, I think. But yes, yes. If this game was uh was at the Field House, which I forget the name, of, I think it's still Lucas Oil. 
in yeah, Indianapolis, so. the same teams, same circumstance, the dollar amount would be up. I, I can go on and on and on. Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina is an outdoor. St- if it was in, <clears throat> excuse me, if it was outdoors in Carolina, are you kidding me? That's like Clemson territory. The numbers would be through the roof. This doesn't have a damn thing to do with college football. There are some narratives I just can't believe get pushed out into the national spectrum, and this is one of them. There's a lot of things wrong with this sport. <laughs> Interest is not one of them, dude. Have you ever felt that way? I, well, no, and I do think, I mean, there, there are issues with attendance in general because for all the reasons we've talked about separately. Um, yeah, but I push back but, on those because I think I, the, the you know this. As someone who works in numbers, data collection is important, and the validity of data is, is the most important part of the process. And honestly, for years, they've been making it up. Yes. Um, but no, just generally speaking, we have this nasty habit in general, uh, but especially with college football, of having all these different topics and then just mashing in the, them together randomly. Uh, like, for instance, saying, wow, the number, whatever it was, four, five, six, eight, and or seven and eight teams, whatever it was uh, in the college football rankings, all lost. But maybe the eight team playoff isn't the way to go, huh? And, and pretending that it makes sense to mash two topics together. Um, but yeah, we're really, again, in everything, not just college football, but we're so amazingly short-sighted, um, that we really do. We, we, we view everything in real time as a referendum on everything. And it makes it really hard to, it makes it hard to actually make progress in conversations because the conversation completely gets sidetracked every single time there's a new data point. Yeah, I wasn't. I was actually going to see if we could go through the whole show without talking about the insane amount of coverage playoff expansion and retraction it's getting right now because of those two games. Yeah. Jesus, God! Sometimes, sometimes the two best. What is, sometimes what? in the NCAA tournament, the two t- top teams are the are, are infinitely better than everybody else. And yeah, we've had some bad. Ba- I mean, I don't watch any college basketball and haven't for years until the tournament starts, and then I probably absorb, I would say, 40% of the tournament. Like, those first couple fun days, you just have it on. And because I don't know anything, I just, like, am kind of wa- – it just sort of washes over you or you see something cool happen in the last second. But there have been a lot of chalky tournaments. It's okay, man. We said this yeah. last show. It's okay. We don't have to change everything as in a, in a knee-jerk reaction. Except the problem is, if you ask a lot of important people in this sport – They'll tell you that Alabama LSU was the reason that the playoff finally had that kind of kick the door in. Right. That's terrifying to me. Yeah, no, I mean, it kind of is. And and that's why um, with a lot of our UCF conversation, especially over the last month, um, Jason wrote a piece that I kind of we chatted about beforehand a few weeks ago about how, like, you know, here, here are all the things. If, if UCF is tired of having its manhood changed, you know, here are some examples of our challenged, excuse me. Um, Change is completely different. Um, you know, here are some examples of like Florida State, you know, played anybody anytime. Like you could be like Florida State, blah, 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 blah. But as we talked about it, you know, he put a, the end of the piece was basically like, who's, who's to say he's wrong? Because he could do all that and finish like sixth in the college football rankings. Or he could just continue to throw a fit as, as UCF has for about the last 15 months. Uh, and knowing how this silly flaky sport it operates that combined with Jim Delaney stomping his feet about, you know, Georgia finishing ahead of Ohio state, which granted in, in, in uh, the past tense now, 
you know, maybe, you know, you can, you can certainly, you know, push back on Georgia being ahead of Ohio state in real time. There was no pushing back because Georgia was the better team this year, but still like Jim Delaney throwing a fit about that. And UCF constantly throwing a fit that moves us closer to an 18 playoff. Uh, it's stupid that it would, but it probably does. And so, um, we, we, we make very slow decisions in this sport. And when we finally make them, we make the right decision for often the wrong reasons. So hooray. God, this thing is just, it's absolutely a mess. I mean, it's, it's just everywhere. As I look on Twitter right now, it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually quieted down, I think from where it was about three weeks ago. Uh, uh, Bill, anything else on the bulls that have well, been before we move into questions? Well, we never actually talked about Washington's performance. Um, Go so for I, it. I was going to mention, uh, like, I felt bad because I stopped watching for a bit in the third quarter. I'm not going to go back and watch the third quarter. But for the entire first half, um, it looked like Ohio State was dominating. It was 21-3 at halftime. But Washington was constantly getting somewhere and shooting itself in the foot. They were so close to a breakthrough in this game. I mean, first drive ends, um, you know, they uh, pass to Gaskin, loses a bunch of yards. But the second drive ends because of a, of a false start. Uh, they drive into Ohio State territory and commit two penalties to force them to settle for a field goal. Uh, the next drive, they drive into uh, Ohio State territory and punt. The next drive, they drive into Ohio State territory and punt. They were constantly gaining yards and then stalling between about the 20 and the 40-yard line. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, Ohio State's going three and out, touchdown, three and out, touchdown, three and out, three and uh, punt, touchdown. Like, they were far less consistent, but they were actually scoring. And it's funny what a difference that makes. Um, but then at the end of the game, I mean, Washington finally got out of its own way a little bit. And Ohio State, I'm really curious about Ohio State moving forward now with Ryan Day. He's bringing in Mike Yersich. Like, I think they're going to be a lot more aggressive. That's going to sometimes backfire on them. But it's just going to be more fun because I got so sick of yep. Urban Meyer turning into Woody Hayes and basically saying, yeah, we scored enough and just packing it in. Like you have all – it always drives me crazy because, I mean, when you've got that talent, when you know you're not going to turn the ball over because Dwayne Haskins isn't going to throw picks, how many picks did he throw this year? Um, like you don't have to stay in fifth gear, but don't go down to first gear. Just keep – keep pushing because they really I understand that they were inconsistent in the first half but they it really was for the last two three years uh, especially Ohio State just basically said yeah we're good and then just packed it in ran JT Barrett into the line three times and punted um and it was just frustrating because it's like a waste of potential fun uh but it also almost backfired on them significantly because Washington started getting out of its own way and scoring a lot at the end I agree with all that I did use part of that time while you were talking to prep some questions. Just letting people behind the curtain. Mm. Sorry. I trust you. Uh-huh. You said Washington's good, right? I, I say Washington's going to win the national title next year, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's do it. That'd be kind of fun. Jacob, oh, wait, Jacob I Eason, I, wait, Oh, no. Wait. I think I put them in my predictions thing. I thought about that yesterday while I was taking out the garbage for some reason. Metaphor? Uh, that I have to do, we have to unearth my predictions after the last signing day in February. And I don't think I did well. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. Um, you just hey, have to get one right, though. All you have to do is get one right, and they'll be like, wow, he called that. Yeah. Well, I always go with baseball. And if you're a 300 hitter, you're a millionaire, right? <laughs> you're a big damn millionaire. So I just need three out of 10. And I, don't, I think I got like 2.2. Um, uh, so we're going to do Reddit questions this episode. We only did Twitter questions last episode, which was not a conscious choice. It was just conscious laziness. Um, however, uh, Houston real fast. Um, I don't know what to say that isn't already out there. 
they hired Dana Holgerson. They wanted Dana Holgerson for a long, long time. Dana Holgerson uh, had talked with Houston about this job before Major Applewhite took it when Tom Herman left. Um, he is a former Houston assistant. He comes off the tree. Um, and the biggest thing, Bill, that we saw at SB Nation and the way that we structured the post when when um, I broke the news on New Year's Eve slash – no, actually, I broke the news <laughs> on, on New Year's Day I was night. Say New Year's Day, the first minute of the new year. Oh, man. One thing my wife pointed out as I was working on this stuff, you know, because we're old, we have children, we're basically dead. Um, poor Alex Kirshner and a couple of the other, <laughs> a couple of the other youths. I think, I think, let's just we'll figure it out live on the show. I think Alex was at like a party because Alex is a young man, he's a young single man. He's out partying on he, New Year's he's Eve. He's an old soul, though. Oh my God, he's older than I am. Uh, but I think the poor guy had to be like, you know, like 10, 9, 8. Hang on, guys. I got to go. I got to go take a look at this draft. I'll be right back. That's oh, God. I can't believe I did that to that kid. Um, terrible. Terrible. Maybe not. But I think he was at a party. Um, New Year's Day night, 12.02 Eastern, I think, is when the story went up. We broke it. Um, it takes a lot of work to break a story. Um, yeah. It's not the first one I've broken. It may you, were, be you were well sourced on this one. It, it it may be the biggest I've broken just because because of this one thing I'm about to to pitch to you. This one thing I'm about to pitch. You, I, I've broken coaching hires and fires before, but man, people are having a tough time understanding why a P5 coach would go to a G5. <laughs> and it is we have structured our entire coverage of this story around that one idea. And I can tell you, I had a story on the 23rd about Major being in trouble. I had subsequent stories between the 23rd and the 1st on how that was going. I named Dana as the leading candidate on the 28th, maybe. I don't remember. Football Scoop was ahead of us on naming him. Um, Obviously, I had been tracking the hire pretty aggressively for a long time. And um, people, as soon as Dana's name... I'll put it this way because I saw it happen to Football Scoop. I saw it happen to anybody like Feldman, all the all the people who do this. Anytime you mention that Dana Holgerson was a leading candidate for this job or that Holgerson had interest in this job, people lost their minds. It was just like it, – it, it, um, I haven't seen Bird Box. We had to work a I'm reference in because it's a meme Bird right Box. now. Right, but I did what I normally do with the horror films is that I just read the Wikipedia real fast. I'm not scared of horror films. I'm usually just bored by them, and I just – it's a horrible curse of being a reporter where I'm like, okay, well, what's the thing? What's the secret? Like when Hereditary came out last summer, they're like, oh, my God, it's the greatest horror film ever made. Oh, my God, it's, you won't believe it. And I'm just like, well, what's the thing? So I'll just get on Google real fast and find out what the thing is. Right. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, that's spooky. Like that sticks with me, even just from reading a wiki synopsis. Right. So that's just how I am. But in Bird Box, anyway, apparently you, the monster, spoiler alert, is never seen, never really materializes, but you just see people see it, perceive it, and then it drives them insane. This bill was the MF and bird box of the college football hiring cycle. Fans, like, sometimes I would I would even pull up random accounts where it was just, like, profanity and latent racism and just the usual stuff you get on Twitter, and I'd be like, this guy's an Ohio State fan, or, you know, this guy's a Florida fan. Why does he care? They just couldn't process this P five to G five thing. Yeah, I mean, Tommy. I should tell them about Tommy Tuberville. It'll blow their damn minds. Is it that bad? 
I, I would think that, like, once you saw that he was going to get $20 million over four years, um, I, I would think that that helped a little bit. You know, I guess. I mean, because I mean, that, that's, you know, that's pretty. How much was he getting paid now? How much is he getting paid now? Boom. But, I mean, <clears throat> it, it, it isn't the first time this has happened. And sometimes it's like, get out ahead of the posse. Um, you know, that my, the first thing I, as a Missouri person, the first thing I still think of is basically Frank Haith at the end of his, whatever it was, I think third year uh, as Missouri's basketball coach. Um, they were awesome the first year, less awesome the second year, less awesome the third year. They were looking at a complete, not, not necessarily a, t- a total rebuild the next year, but you know, they were going to have a poor year. His contract was going to need be, need to be renewed pretty soon. And he knew he was going to have a poor year. So when he found out that the AD wasn't going to take a leap of faith and give him a, a big contract extension, he's like, oh, hey, uh, hey, Tulsa. And he jumped for Tulsa. So technically, Tulsa took Missouri's basketball coach. Um, but really, it was because they were at an impasse. The marriage was growing stale. And they weren't, neither side was really getting what they wanted out of the situation. And so it was a good time to just break ties. And, and in the end, you know, kudos to West Virginia to a certain degree for basically saying we're not, we don't feel comfortable spending X amount of money when we don't feel we're going to get the X amount of production for that. Um, whether they're right or wrong, that seemed to be the case is that we're not going to give you an extension just to give you an extension. Um, and we don't, we're, we're kind of disappointed at the moment, or we think we're about to be disappointed. Um, so there was an impasse. Dana wanted more and West Virginia didn't want to give it. So Dana found more and now West Virginia gets a fresh start, which might or we'll find out if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But I do think, I mean, the money helps to, to, to explain the situation, even if it is going from Big 12 to AAC. Frank Hayes didn't so, make more at Tulsa when he, when he got – well, I, I don't know. Maybe he did. But, but he's still, like, he, he's making a lot more money now. Um, one thing I'll point out, you're talking about the money, is that the assistant salary pool is jumping right. up significantly. Right. And the de- so the details of the contract, as we're recording this, um, they, uh, the Chronicle processed through FOIA – um, and let me type in the Houston Chronicle process, the, the actual executed contract through FOIA. Um, when I was doing the reporting on more of a national level, I was just trying, honestly, because we were breaking it, I was trying to just get the larger structure of the deal, X years, X dollars. Um, okay. So Sam Khan over at, uh, at ESPN, uh, he was reporting on this this morning. Uh, this is the real reason. And I, I mean, I can tell you this because I broke the damn story and talked to everybody involved for a long time. FYI on the Houston assistant salary pool. Uh, that four point, It's $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this isn't the first tweet. This is actually like the third tweet on this. But he was he was talking about that's $4.5 million and includes strength staff and support staff. Um, for comparison's sake, he then uses the USA Today salary database um, of staff pay. That's a power five pool. Gender, right. Like, like this is this is the reason, man. Everybody's talking right now about the buyout. Like, it's a four point five million dollar salary pool for his assistants, and that is a lot of damn money. That is, you know, we re- remember. Hey, remember how crazy Clemson was to have two coordinators making over a million dollars? Houston's doing it. Okay, but, but well, potentially. Um, it depends on how they structure all that stuff, but this is why other than his own money, not being guaranteed an extension being in an impasse and then a thousand other smaller secondary reasons. Right. There are plenty of smaller things. Yeah. This like, this is when, when you're from basically, I know he like, he's originally from Iowa or whatever, but like 
when you're when when you made your bones in Texas, you love Texas, you love the city of Houston. You feel like you've really done everything you can at this other job because he has, and we're going to talk about West Virginia and their situation in just a second. But that and all your guys getting paid and you getting paid at more of a guarantee, like it just makes sense, man. It just it really is that cut and dry. And also, Houston, Bill, would you? We'll just go ahead and transition to this question from a, from a redditor because he nailed it. Um, I I'll tell you this: I would rather be coaching Houston for the next three years for half the money that it would. Then I would get to ho- to coach at West Virginia, and here's why: they are not in a good spot. Um, Redditor Shep four eleven he says more of a comment than a question for West Virginia. If you talk about it, I've only paid a little attention to our coaching search, but I haven't heard I haven't heard anything about we start to play uh, about how we start to play our most of our traditional rivals starting in 2020. This would add even more pressure on both Shane Lyons in the search and the eventual coach who would only have one year before we have the following run of rivals in a neutral site game against FSU. This is according to FBS schedules. 2020, they play FSU in Atlanta. Now, keep in mind, I should say this at the jump. It's a nine-team conference schedule in the Big 12, so keep that in mind, okay? In 2020, they play FSU. In 2021, they're at Maryland, and they have Virginia Tech. Jesus, Mary Joseph. In 2020, they're at Pitt, and they're at VTech. Good God, what are you doing? Two road games? In 2023, you're home at Pitt, and you're at Penn State. In 2024, this may be a post, Shep. This is bloody. At 2024, yeah, seriously, I'm going to take this to the college football room as soon as we're done. At uh, 2024, at Pitt, home for PSU. 2025 is Pitt. He said, for a fan base that can lament our move to the Big 12 fairly often, it seems like a huge task to rebound by year two. This will be the best run of regional rivalry games we may have ever had in a long time. He's absolutely right. And let me just clarify, Bill, you and I are down for for West Virginia Pitt. Backyard brawl coming back, fantastic. We love it, right? Super, super down with that. Dude, you're playing a nine-game Big 12 schedule on top of that, and then also you have non-conference series against Virginia Tech and Penn State, and you've got a, and you've got a neutral site game against FSU. What is you doing, baby? Well, that's that's the thing. Like the, one of the reasons I hate nine-game conference schedules, and I realize I'm still the only person in the United States who hates nine-game conference schedules. But part of it is when we see something like this, we're like, man, this is stupid. Instead Jesus. of you know, instead, instead of, of hey, instead of hey, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Right. We're, we're instead of Pitt and Penn State and like Fordham and a Mac school, it's Pitt, Penn State, probably a Fordham type, and nine Big Twelve opponents. Um, and just that one game makes such a big difference between five and seven and six and six or, or eight and four and nine and three. Um, oh man. I, and, and so like, I feel bad because this is exactly what we want to see. And we're looking at it like they're absolutely insane to do it. Yeah. Um, but I was texting with a, I was texting with a coach who, uh, is an assistant at a school that's not moved there. They were just looking around, just shooting, gossiping. And, um, we were talking about West Virginia and Dana and the perception and all that stuff. And he texted me their schedule in 2019. I didn't really think of it. This was pretty early on in the Dana process. And he was like, look, whoever gets this job is going to get like, because a lot of people are talking about what the quality of West Virginia's roster in 2019 is not going to be good. Kind of falls off. It's going to be new. Like it might be good, but it's got a lot of new blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with Dana not there, you've recruited a fit of one thing culturally and schematically that may not extend. And a lot of people are talking about that right now. Um, West Virginia's schedule in 2019, the nine Big 12 conference games at Missouri in week two, yep. 
home for NC State, and their opening game is against one of the best teams in the FCS, James Madison. Right. I mean, it's yeah, a no, good there thing. Was certainly, you... Like, the money was the reason he left, but there were certainly other factors about stale marriages and and knowing that you're probably going to have a da- – uh, you're probably going to regress this coming year and you're going to lose your leverage. Um, but then Houston made it really easy by <laughs> saying we're going right. to throw – we're going to throw like not even power conference money at you, but like damn near Texas money at you. Uh, so come here, dude. It's a good thing. They play Kansas next year. Yeah. And they get two bye weeks. I mean, hey, that's I'm not... Kansas coached by national and at one of the only active national title winning coaches. Thank you very much. <sighs> Thus begins one of the strangest, probably worst runs I've ever seen. going to go ahead and call that shot. I was about to say the worst. I, I don't know. I think it may end up. I, I mean, it will be it will be YCN. If the, it will be, well, it will mean, be that's, YCN. That's a step up from where they currently are. So, okay. <laughs> wait, no, wait. The Y. You, no, no. See, this is where I'm going to argue and derail the whole podcast. What Weiss did is what Beatty had to dig out of and clean. Yeah, but Weiss to a that degree. Juco, yeah. dude, that JUCO shit. Well, yeah, but I mean, that that was, I mean, it wasn't, he did that because they had no talent and, um, and, and I mean, I'm not, I don't want to defend Charlie Weiss, but, um, they were more talented before, uh, what's the best way to phrase this? They were more <laughs> talented before he got desperate and dove in with Juco's than they are now. Um, but he still panicked and he got impatient and went the full Juco route with whatever that was, 17 in one class. Um, but they still like Weiss's last year, they were 95th in S and P plus, which is obviously bad, but then Beatty takes over and they're 126th with basically the same roster. So, I mean, it was still, it, that wasn't the only problem Beatty had, <laughs> but uh, it certainly didn't help him. Chip Lindsay. Who's the DC that they hired? Uh, did they retain um, Clint? I just I seriously doubt that because Clint's very very tight with um, with Beatty. Well, he was also Although there Clint, before Beatty too. So. I know he was the interim and then got the DC job. Um, point is this: just just the concept of being in the Big Twelve, watching Les Miles and those decision making. Oh God, and DJ then, Elliott. Yeah. Okay, all right, and then him undermining a chip, <laughs> Chip's offense. Holy shit, it's gonna be terrible. Um, okay. Um, you just listed well, all the problems I have with Mac Brown too, but that's a completely different situation. Congrats for uh, making, yeah. congrats for, congrats for get, making good coordinator hires. Now get out of their way. I don't think you can is basically the issue. I do. I do definitely understand where you're coming from there. I, I do think that North Carolina set up infinitely better. Yeah. Well, infinitely they have more better. talent. I mean, yeah, everybody's yeah. set up better than Kansas for sure, but that, like, more talent in, of- in a league that isn't contrary to what you're trying to do. <laughs> I do think Mac is going to get, I honestly think Mac is, I think that's the difference is that Les sometimes still thinks, I don't know, there's a level of mean I don't want to get to in a public forum, but like, I just think that Mac is going to understand that delegation better than Les. Okay. I mean, I didn't say good. I said better. That's fine. I'll I'll accept that framing. (laughs) All right. Our buddy patches eight, seven, four, eight. This is a natural transition on the topic. My question is a selfish one as a Cincinnati life, uh, life timer. I think he just means lifer. Godfrey, can you make me feel the least bit comfortable about Fickle saying I can? 
Um, I had a story out this morning uh, as we, yeah, this morning, a couple hours ago. So there were five names. The fifth one we just put in to make people mad. And honestly, I don't care. It's my, I can do that if I want to. Um, there's five names. The fifth was Rich Rodriguez who just signed his contract at Ole Miss. Um, and I threw in there. It, this is true, by the way, that he doesn't have a buyout if he takes an HC job. If he if he, he has a buyout, if he were to take a position job and not a head coaching job, um, just to make everybody mad, to make Ole Miss people worry, to make West Virginia people yell at me on Twitter because they definitely did. Um, what Rich Rodriguez is not getting a West Virginia job. I just did it to put a name in there. Okay, I did it specifically because people are talking about Rich Rodriguez in West Virginia. They're talking about 2007. So from the in the big capital J journalism I did it because it's already something that's being discussed and I and I debunked it and then made a joke about it so shut up West Virginia fans the four names that you need to know about are in this order right now as I record this one Luke Fickle two Neil Brown three Tony Gibson four Butch Jones okay Uh, Tony Gibson, well, all right, we'll I, start I saw there. what you wrote, so I know why but yes we'll start there um he got the courtesy interview and the courtesy meeting because he is a player favorite booster favorite fan favorite he is west virginia you know through and through and he was not once a get... successful off, uh, defensive coordinator his defenses i was very diplomatic i didn't even yep. i didn't even this uh last night when i was writing in it, it wasn't because i was really tired because my kids will not go back to school um it was just that i didn't feel like the numbers w- were fair in this regard because of all the things that have gone on west virginia he's had wildly successful uh, uh wildly very vacillating is that the word i'm looking for uh quality of defense yeah i'm being nice man yeah two Some top, of his defenses top, they were top 40 top, top 40 in defensive s&p plus in 2015 and 16 very solid okay. 2017 and 18 not so much yes he can be good and bad is what i said yeah. Um, but in West Virginia, that it, it, being West Virginia matters in West Virginia because one of the things they're really, really scared about is, is being even more obsolete and strange in the Big 12. They made the jump because they had to to survive as the Big East crumbled, but also they're trying to understand their own identity and move forward. And being West Virginia matters, being a West Virginian. Um, fun fact, I lived in that state when I was a child. We were transferred there by the FBI. You it is a saving. strange place. It's a very strange place. Um but I lived, I lived very, very close to Marshall, so I did not live in uh, that Morgantown part of the state. I lived very, very close to Marshall. Um, <sighs> Tony Gibson's not getting the job either. It's a two-man race right now. It's Neil Brown and it's Luke Fickle. Okay. Butch Jones uh, is on the outside, but he is a big favorite of a lot of power people in the state of West Virginia. He works for Nick Saban, who has the ear of a lot of people in West Virginia. And I would be honest with you. Butch Jones is probably more what they think they want, but they are not, as of this moment, leaning in that direction because they don't want someone who's been fired, okay? That is the God's honest truth as I report these things out. That's their hang-up. It's not anything to do with anything at Tennessee specifically. Uh, This is college. It's so weird. Just for a second, I'm going to deviate, okay? How many openings are in the NFL right now? Eight? 32 um yeah something something like eight. <laughs> okay of the eight right now the number one or 1a candidate at, at each of the eight jobs is, is someone who's already been a head coach in the nfl right and they didn't retire spoiler alert they got fired mike munchak has had multiple interviews okay i appreciate so that, the nfl doing that by the way to remind us like because we we kind of leaned into the whole yeah thing, we've like, been oh, real nice the NFL, NFL. Being progressive and college football's being regressive no not always not no, not no. not completely we forgot it sucks. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Butch Jones has a lot of connections. He was a former West Virginia assistant. 
Uh, but they are focused on, I don't know if it's so much younger, but I do think it's someone on that rise and not in a reformed capacity, which is different in the college football environment. It just is, um, regardless of what you think about it. Butch Jones has the most rec- has the best accolades in, in far as recruiting. They're worried about that, um, recruiting identity. He could probably put together the deepest staff of anybody there. However, again, he was fired at Tennessee, and he has – he has inarguable failures while he was at Tennessee. What everyone involved with Butch Jones in Tennessee, what they're doing right now is they're all very, very impatiently arms crossed as Jeremy Pruitt dicks around on hiring an offensive coordinator at five and seven. Now, how has they, he not done that yet? Anyway, because it's another topic for another day. Yeah. Um, everyone at Tennessee and the Butch Jones saga, everyone's trying to wait for time to figure out and point and say, it was you, it wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> That's that's how that's going right now, and and honestly, it's too hard. It's way too early to call that one. Um, it's it's affected Jones in in so much as that his resume alone should get him the West Virginia job, and it's it's he is so far behind the field of these two guys at this at at this moment. Okay, it is a two man race. It is Fickle and Brown um, to make you patches eight seven four eight feel better. What is going on in Cincinnati right now is ideal under any circumstance, okay? Yep. Luke Fickle is from Ohio. He has obvious and strong ties to an Ohio State program that just named Urban's successor, and it ain't him, okay? If you're Luke Fickle, Bill, you're Luke Fickle. Congratulations, Thanks. okay? You are head coach of a Cincinnati team that just won 11 freaking games in their second year. In the second year, a year ahead of schedule, yeah. In your second year. Um, I wrote this last night and double-checked with the University of Cincinnati. They did that essentially with not his players in so much as they've had a really stellar set of recruiting that's gone on for the two-ish years that he's been in full control of that. Okay, They won 11 games this season with – where's my stat for my story? 13 seniors they lose off this roster. Yeah, that's not that many really. I mean – well, let's – okay, actually let me back up. In in a couple of units, they were extremely non-fickle driven, and in other units, they were fickle fickle recruit driven. But that means they were playing freshmen and sophomores. So they had a ton of freshmen and sophomores playing on both sides of the ball. And, my point and is, went eleven and two. Yes, and that's my point. You are winning eleven games with a transition team. Your yeah. your vision, your goal, your idea of depth, your ideal of this is what we want a wide receiver to be. This is the kind of lineman. None of that's happened yet, and you won eleven freaking games. You are sitting on what almost inarguably will be a winning hand for two more years, especially if he continues to recruit to Cincinnati the way he has, and he is so embedded and connected in the state of Ohio. He's doing more in the city of Cincinnati in recruiting than than really it's less about that than or it's more about that than less about Ohio. Um, it's very impressive. So let's talk about West Virginia for a second, Bill. If that ain't your dream job. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the – and you're you're really confident that this isn't the last time the carousel is going to come by and ask you to jump on to the Power Five. If I'm Luke Fickle and I can get a contract extension out of Cincinnati, I think I'm staying in Cincinnati in 2019. Uh, yeah, I mean – Money is a big part of this, obviously. I mean, I, I, like West Virginia, I would assume that if you do really well at West Virginia, they're going to pony up more, a little more than they did for Dana. Like, you know, like we were saying, part of the problem with Dana was that he achieved, but he never 
there was never like a, a second breakthrough, so to speak. And he never like they, they, they finished the last couple of seasons disappointingly. And so they, you know, there was that kind of, it was hard. It was maybe hard to sell a huge contract to the fan base. Let's put it that way. Yes. That, that shouldn't matter, but it does. Um, and so if fickle goes there, recruits, well, builds a good program, uh, wins a lot of games, wins a big 12, a couple times, I assume they can pony up like anybody outside of the blue bloods can, um, and so basically at that point, he would only leave for the blue bloods. Uh, so if he wants to hold out for a bigger job, that's fine. But what's a bigger job than West Virginia, obviously Ohio state and Michigan, that's fine. Again, the blue bloods are bigger, but Michigan state, uh, it, it would, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think he would do just fine to go. And I, if he sits around a, another couple of years and, is, and to, to raise his stock even further, even if it succeeds, I don't know where he's going unless the Ohio State or Michigan job's open. He's probably not Hi. going to Michigan. <laughs> Let me read you a story real quick okay. that involves a coach debating on going to the Power Five from the American Athletic. Okay. Dateline, November 28th, 2015. 15. A young, highly attractive writer named Stephen Godfrey. <laughs> wow. Um. Oh, God. I did a creative lead. Never mind. I was just looking for the news. Why do I always do these stupid leads? Ugh, ugh. Oh, this is so bad. Can I read this lead? It's so bad. When the Houston sideline started its customary kickoff dance up 52-31 on, on Navy with the 41 seconds left, this time a full stadium of over 40,000 danced behind it. The dancing started when Tom Herman arrived in January as a means to self-start an atmosphere for a team that had grown accustomed to empty home crowds. After a few moments, the student section stormed the field, bookending a day that started with enough hype to draw President George H.W. Bush out to deliver the coin toss. Yeah, quote, yeah, I told our guys, cool stuff happens to winners. Houston head coach said, Herman said after the game, just kill me or, or make me read anything from three years prior. That was I, awful. Well, awful, I, I never Steven. want to read anything that I've written, but, uh, oh, but I don't, oh, I don't oh, think the, that was as bad as you think it was. Um, it's just a real, I was, I was smart. I could see myself being smarmy in the, in the lead in the hook. Um, the, the reason why I read this stupid story is that nobody remembers this because Tom Herman went to Texas. He went to Texas after 2016, and you guys all remember what happened on Thanksgiving night with his agent and LSU. Right. Well, what you don't remember is that in 2015, this same shit happened, and he turned down South Carolina. South Carolina wanted to hire Tom Herman at basically the same exact point that Major's in, or whoop, sorry, that uh, Luke Fickle is in now. Okay, Luke Fickle has had a fast, noticeable run in an AAC program that was that was flat, languishing, whatever, and now he's starting to be noticed. And I I posit to you, Mr. Connolly, is South Carolina Herman not the same as West Virginia Fickle? Uh, I mean, it just depends on what job you think you can get, I guess. I mean, that's... Well, we all know now, history told us that Tom Herman went to Houston to get the Texas job. He wanted Texas from the day one. So <laughs> that's fine, maybe I, I know he, he Luke Fickle, maybe Luke Fickle knows some things that we don't about another job. Maybe it's in the Big Ten. I don't know. Well, and I mean, Ryan Day, the guy who succeeds Urban Meyer is probably going to get fired in a few years for not living up to the Meyer standards. So, I mean, okay, but he can do that. He can raise his stock and do just fine at West Virginia, too, and make more money in the interim and then get the Ohio yeah. State job later on no matter what. I mean, that's um, – Friend of the program, Manny Diaz, just took a job and then took another job 18 days later. It doesn't really, I mean, 
don't know, take the job that can make you the most money and, and bring you the most success and raise your stock that way, I guess. And, and maybe that's still Cincinnati. Maybe he can get a good raise there and, and keep winning and then get a more money later on. But I, I, West Virginia is still a good job, and he would do just fine there. Maybe not, maybe not at first with this schedule, but we didn't think he'd succeed at first at Cincinnati either, and he did. Tom Herman used the interest from South Carolina and the buzz around that team as it as they won their division. I know they didn't do that this year in the AAC. Cincinnati didn't, but he got a three million dollar deal annually from that point on at Houston. And then, of course, the next year goes to Texas. Whatever we know that, but to read this story. It reads like the playbook for Fickle right now. Now, unfortunately, we have a hard out. Do you know what that hard out is? The fact that school is still not back. And then I have two children on the floor below so, me right So we now. answered like two Reddit questions. I know because there's new stuff going on. I, all right, we'll do all Reddit next week, okay? All right, I won't even do the Ask PAP on solicitation on Twitter. I don't have a choice. I have children. I don't know why I made that decision, but I did, and I made it twice. Yeah, seriously, you could have stopped at one. That's what we did. I'm already Catholic. What do you think? I'm done? Yeah, true. All right, we'll be back next Thursday. By the way, uh, recording on Thursdays, going up on Thursdays, that's the plan. Um, Bill and I are going to go hobnob with some football coaches, um, and we'll have plenty to talk about. And, oh, by the way, man, you know if we record next Thursday, it is going to be Hangover City. Well, I figured my biggest hangover will be like Sunday, and then it'll just kind of slowly get a little better as the week goes on. You fool. You fool. Well, I, and Wednesday morning, I'm flying out, so. Gross. It's going to so I'll have awful. a day to recover before, we, before I have to use my voice again. Man, you're a dad. You don't come home and recover from business trips anymore. You come home I have and one back kid to the and she's real going war. to be in school. It's fine. Why did I breathe so much? It's all that sex, man. All right. I'll see you next week, Bill.